ask for God's help as we come to his word this morning. Let's pray. Um, Father, it's been um, so good already to lift our voices together as a church family and to be amazed together again by your grace, by your kindness to us that you've shown in your Son, Jesus Christ. To be amazed again by the way that you welcome us so generously and forgive us all our wrongs and embrace us as your children. Um, Father, help us never to stop being surprised again and amazed again and grateful again for your love poured into our lives, uh, for this grace that we did not earn, uh, but that was poured out uh, upon us. Um, Father, I want to pray for your help as we come to your word. We need, uh, we need your help. We need your wisdom. Um, Father, especially as we come to a passage this morning that is challenging, I pray that you would help us to know how to hear it, how to receive it, that we wouldn't go away today burdened by what we hear, but that it would plant seeds in our hearts that would bear good fruit. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now you're all worried about what this passage is going to be this morning. Um, we're, we're coming this morning to, um, for me, one of the most challenging chapters in the book of Isaiah. Um, I think I told you the last part of Isaiah is full of joy, and now I'm telling you this is actually going to be very challenging. Um, you'll, you'll have found as you read Isaiah, the joyful sections also have some very challenging bits, and the challenging sections also have some very joyful bits, uh, and it often gets blended together. Um, but for me, this is one of the most challenging chapters actually in all of the Bible. Um, and so um, in order to find our way into it, I'm going to come at it a little bit backwards. Uh, before we come to the really challenging part, we're going to go to the end of the chapter. And I want to read you some really beautiful, breathtaking promises that come at the tail end of this chapter. And I'm hoping that they might provide us an entry to then be willing to look at the challenging part, okay? So let's look at these. These are amazing promises that come in the later part of the chapter. So looking down, this is Isaiah 58. Um, and we're going to be looking down, first of all, at verse 8, about halfway through the chapter. And this is what it says. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. That's our, our phrase we, uh, for this morning. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Then we're going to skip down a little bit to the second part of verse 10, and it says, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday, and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then again, down to verse 14, near the very end, then you will find your joy. There's the joy, I promised you. 
Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. I wonder, would you agree with me? Those are some of the most beautiful, breathtaking promises given to God's people in Scripture. You'll want to go back and read those again and again um, during the week. It's a beautiful picture of a life filled with God's light. Did you notice the light breaking in a couple of times as we read? And God's presence before his people and God's presence behind his people as their rear guard. And a picture of God speaking and guiding his people where they should go. And God strengthening his people and making us flourish like a well-watered garden. And a picture of joy and triumph and feasting. Right? So it's a beautiful picture. And I think as we read it, certainly for me, it, those kind of promises in the Bible, they draw out our desire and our longing. Your heart says, that is what I want. That is the kind of, that's where I want to live my life. In that place where God's light is around me, God's presence is around me, God's guiding me, God's watering me like a garden and I'm flourishing and there's joy and there's triumph and there's feasting, right? Anybody in the room not want a bit of that <laughs> this week in your life? It draws out our desire, it draws out our longing, which is what God's promises always do. I wonder, did you notice each, each section I read there began with a little word, then? <laughs> look, look at the, the, verse, the sections I read you. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Then your light will rise in the darkness. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. That little word, I think, is important. Um, these amazing promises, this picture that is painted for us, these are consequences that follow from a certain kind of life. The whole structure of Isaiah 58 is structured as an if-then kind of logic. There's a conditionality to this chapter, if we live in a certain way, then these things will follow as consequence. Um, and maybe, even as I say that, maybe that can make us a little bit nervous. Uh, maybe some of us are thinking, um, surely God's promises are, are meant to be unconditional. I thought that was part of the whole deal. God's promises are unconditional. Um, and it's worth pausing there for a second, because of course, Often, uh, as we read the Bible, God's promises and blessings and gifts are unconditional. Let me give you a few examples. Um, here's a very obvious one. God created you, and that was an unconditional gift because you weren't even there beforehand to meet any conditions, right? That God created you just as an act of generosity and kindness to you and to the world. He, he made you unconditionally, right? That's an obvious one. But also, um, think about God's love for every person he has made. God's love is not conditional. It doesn't depend on whether the person behaves well or behaves badly. It doesn't even depend on whether they believe in him or not. God loves every person he has made. In fact, every creature he has made. His love is unconditional. He has set his love on the human race, right? 
It's good news. Um, and then think about if you're a Christian this morning, think about your salvation, that God has saved you, that he has forgiven you and brought you into his family and filled you with his spirit and given you a purpose for life and given you confidence of life with him forever. And he gives all of that out of his own grace, without condition. It's not something we earn through good behavior or hard work. Um, it is all by grace and not by works so that nobody can boast. Maybe we might say the only condition is that we receive it by faith. Um, but I'm never quite sure if that counts as a condition or not. Um, if I was to say to you, um, I'll give you a million pounds, uh, and you say to me, John Mark, what's the catch? What's the condition? There's got to be a catch. And I say, okay, you got me. There is one condition. You have to be willing to receive the gift, right? I think that's another way of saying there's no condition. It's yours if you want it. And so in all these ways, God creates us unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally. He saves us unconditionally. That's all out of God's grace and kindness and generosity. So that's really important to say. You weren't wrong when you thought a lot of the time God's promises come without condition. But some of God's promises in Scripture come with conditions attached. Sometimes the Bible says very straightforwardly, if you walk in this way, then these consequences, these blessings will follow. Um, it's important to say the conditions, and whenever we get these if-thens in the Bible, the conditions are not random and arbitrary. Um, let, me, let me try and describe the difference between conditions that are random and that are not. Um, again, I'm, I know I'm giving you daft examples here, but um, if I was to say to you, if you hop on one leg for a week, uh, I will give you a new Ferrari, right? I'm not going to do that, by the way. But um, the, the, the promise that I'm, I'm making has no connection whatsoever. I've just made up a random condition. And if you fulfill that, then I will give you a, a random, unconnected prize. The, the promises in the Bible are not like that. Um, think of a different one. Think if Ryan Galway was your physical trainer and Ryan said to you, said to me, because I, I would need this, John Mark, if you eat healthier food and exercise more, you will feel a lot better and you'll have more energy and you'll feel stronger and more alive, right? That, that is an if then. But can you see how this time it's not random and arbitrary? They're, they are organically connected. This is how life works. And it's something like that that I think is going on when we get these if-thens in the Bible. Um, God is not um, giving us random conditions with random rewards. He's telling us how life works, um, including at the deepest level in our spiritual lives. So, having said all that about conditionality and if and then, um, you and I want to know, because we love those promises, um, what are the conditions that lead us to this beautiful life at the end of Isaiah 58? Well, we'll get there in a second. Um, the, the people of Judah think they know the answer. They think the key lies in certain religious activities. And so look with me right back near the beginning of the chapter at verse 2. This is what it says in verse 2 of Isaiah 58. Day after day, they seek me out. Right? These people sound 
pretty spiritual, pretty religious. Day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near to them. Try and picture in your mind the kind of people we're talking about. Um, Did you notice twice uh, that little word, eager? These people are keeny beanies. They're they're super eager. They are enthusiastic. They're they're not half-hearted and apathetic about their faith, about their religiosity. They are totally committed, passionate, enthusiastic people. You would look at them and go, they've got a bit about them in terms of they're, they're really committed religious people. Actually, I think that the NIV is a little bit misleading here because it sneaks in the little word seem. They seem eager. Um, and I was doing a bit of reading this week. That, that word seem doesn't appear in the Hebrew. Um, so actually, really, all, all it says is there are people who are eager to know God's ways and they're eager for God to come near them. You wouldn't look at them and say, and be cynical. You would look at them and go, I'm impressed. Right? These are people who are on fire for God. These are people who are the keen, enthusiastic ones. I wish everybody was like them and not half-hearted. Right? Do you get, you get the picture? The kind of people we're talking about? They are eager, um, zealous, enthusiastic um, people. Um, in their case, their eagerness, they are especially keen on one activity. And it it comes to the four more as you read on in the chapter. The one activity they're really eager about is fasting. They are super eager and enthusiastic about fasting. That is how they show that they are committed and passionate. How do you know they're committed and passionate? Because they're fasting a lot. Many days um, during the year they are abstaining from food. They are fasting. It's worth pausing there. I, I, I don't know about you. Um, I don't know a lot of Christians today who are super eager about fasting. Um, you, maybe you do. I haven't met many. Um, and so it's worth pausing and asking, what would it be for us if we wanted to show God and show other people that we are really committed, that we're not a half-hearted disciple, we're a, a really eager disciple? What are the activities we might engage in to prove it? So they were doing it with fasting. Um, I wonder what it might be for us. I, I imagine typically we might show our eagerness by a lot of Bible study, reading the Bible by ourselves, reading it with other people, going to hear good sermons, all the rest. We might show it by doing a lot of praying, praying by ourselves, praying with other people, going to prayer meetings, signing up for prayer apps, super eager about prayer. It might be just going to a lot of Christian meetings and activities and weekends and conferences and that kind of activity would show that we're really eager. It might be being really enthusiastic about evangelism and going on mission trips and uh, special mission weeks like we've had this week and pouring ourselves out enthusiastically and all those things. We've lots of ways we might show God, other people, the world, that we are eager. We're not a half-hearted disciple. We are, uh, we're all in. Um, you can answer the question for yourself. What would it be for you that you do when you want to show that you're really eager? Um, 
what we find out as we read on is the people of Judah, they think they know how the spiritual life works, but they're confused. We read on, um, they're, they're eagerly doing all these things, but their life is not blessed with God's light and joy. And they're really confused. So we read on and it says, this, this is what they are saying. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? They're talking to God. Why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't even noticed? Right? That's how God's people are feeling. We're doing all the things and you don't seem to be paying any attention. I wonder, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like uh, saying to God, Lord, I'm doing all the things I've always been told a good Christian is meant to do, and I've been eager, and I've been committed, and I've been passionate, but I don't feel your presence or your light or your joy? Why have you not noticed that I'm doing all the things? Um, now, before we come to the, the real challenge at the heart of the chapter, um, just one little note of caution. Um, I think sometimes we go through a season when God feels far away and we might have a lack of joy or a time of spiritual dryness and sometimes there's not a single identifiable clear cause for that. Um, sometimes there's a mystery involved there, there's an ebb and flow in the Christian life and sometimes we just have to wait on the Lord and eventually light returns and joy returns. Sometimes you just got to ask a friend to sit with you and wait and say, I don't understand why I'm feeling dry or joyless. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Okay. And so sometimes we don't ever find out why that period was dry. And I think that's really important to say. I think every Christian who's walked the walk for any length of time can testify to that. There can be an ebb and a flow without clear calls. But what Isaiah 58 suggests is that at least sometimes there is a clear cause for our spiritual dryness. And it lies in the fact that we have neglected some of God's really clear commands. Right? That is what we're about to read in Isaiah 58. That sometimes our, our lack of spiritual light and joy and vitality is coming about because God has said some things really clearly. And in all of our eagerness and activism and Christian busyness, we're avoiding and ignoring some things that God has said. Right? So now we're ready to hear this is the punchy, challenging heart of the, of the passage. Let's read on from verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. And where it says fasting, I think you can put in whatever it is that is our religious activism. You can't do those things the way you're doing them today and expect your voice to be heard on high. This is what God says. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? 
Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And then we burst into this later part of Isaiah 58 with all those beautiful promises that we read. Do you see the challenging logic of this passage? I want to read just a little bit more, just from the second half of verse 9. This is where maybe the if-then is most clear in the passage. It says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. There it is most simply in this passage. Um, I wonder, can you hear what God is saying? There are some there are some very specific things which matter greatly to God, which he cares really deeply about, which are really close to his heart, and which he has told his people to care about and has commanded us to take action. He has shown us in these areas what is good. And if we neglect these things, for me, the challenge of this passage is this, if we neglect these things, it won't matter how eager we are in all of our religious activity, there, there will always be a lack of spiritual light and joy and vitality and strength. There will not be that breakthrough to blessing and flourishing that we all desire. We can't just ignore the simple, clear things God has asked us to do. Not because God has made this as an arbitrary rule, but because this is how life works. Loving God and loving people go, go together. And all these things in Isaiah 58 are about how we love our neighbour, how we love other people. We can't run around doing all our religious activity and claim, I am super eager about loving God if we're not doing the simple things God has asked us to do for our neighbour. It's really challenging, isn't it, this, this chapter? Um, and so just for the last few minutes, I'm not going to say a whole lot more, um, but I want to show you just, for me, picking out, there are three simple things in this chapter that God has asked us to care about and to do. Um, and I just want to draw your attention to them. Um, I'm going to put them up quickly and then just say a few things about each of them. First is that we are to loose the chains of injustice. Right, we'll come back to that in a second. Second is that we are to share our food with the hungry. And not only our food, but also our shelter and our clothing. And the third is we're to get rid of quarreling and pointed fingers and malicious talk. Right? Those are the three. Uh, there is a fourth one later on in the chapter, which is about the Sabbath, but I'm setting that aside for now. You can puzzle over that by yourself later on. I'm going to talk about the three just in reverse order um, from the one that's the one that's maybe not easy to do, but easier to talk about. 
they get a little bit harder as we, as we go back. So let's mention the three of them very quickly. Um, things God cares about, simple things God has asked his people to do. Get rid of quarreling, get rid of fighting, get rid of the pointed finger and malicious talk. It's possible for us to be eager about all our religious activity, but to live our lives with a pointed finger, always finding fault, always stirring up division, always speaking critically. Um, and the challenge of Isaiah 58 is all our religious activity will count for nothing if the grace and peace of Jesus is not present in our relationships. And if this is clear in the Old Testament, it becomes even clearer in the New Testament, where we find out that peacemaking lies at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to make peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1. We have been given, 2 Corinthians 5, a ministry of reconciliation, which is about people getting reconciled to God, but also reconciled to each other. Matthew 5, Jesus says, the peacemakers will be called children of God because they look like their dad. They have the family resemblance. Paul says in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the call of the gospel in our lives. And so let me throw the challenge to you. Is it possible that sometimes you are super eager about your religious activity. But in your relationship with other people, you're living with a pointed finger and malicious talk and causing division and causing disunity. The challenge of this chapter, I wonder, do you hear it? Um, this is what we are called to. Get rid of quarreling, get rid of the pointed finger and malicious talk. Second thing, going backwards. Oh, my, I've lost my screen. Oh, have we lost all screens? doesn't matter. We can live without them. Oh, we're, we're back at the very beginning. Um, let me flick all the way through, just so you can have a picture while I'm, something to look at while I'm talking to you. Um, share your food with the hungry. Uh, and it goes on to say, and your shelter and your clothing. Um, if the first one told us that peacemaking really matters to God, this one tells us that generosity really matters to God. I um, wonder how we go about doing that. I was struck as I thought about it. We can do this at a distance um, in lots of actually really good ways by supporting the work of Tear Fund or Fields of Life or giving money to help people in Ukraine or giving items to help people in Ukraine or even bringing it a little bit closer to home. We can put food in the food bank box and it goes to people in our local community um, who are in need. And those are really, really good things for us to do. Um, but I guess I find myself challenged this week. It's good to ask, how could we bring this closer to home? Um, how can we ask in our everyday living, what, what has God given me and how could I share it with those around me? Share money, share food, share skills, share time, share your home. In other words, how can we make this not just occasional charity, but actually a way of life? This is basic Christianity, to share what we have with those around us. And actually, I was really challenged. I was looking for an image to put up for sharing your food with the hungry. And I was challenged by the fact that if you Google image search sharing food with the hungry, 
what, what do you think are the kind of images that come up? They are images of uh, us behind a table serving soup uh, at a soup kitchen or to the homeless or whatever. And again, don't hear me wrong, those are really good things to do. But I think the heart of the biblical challenge is for it not to be about us up here handing food very graciously to someone down here in a way that can be kind of patronizing. Did you, did you hear the phrase as we read that says, don't turn away from your own flesh and blood? And I think the heart of the biblical challenge is to see other people as our own flesh and blood, as made in the image of God like us, and to recognize their humanity and actually to sit down and share our food with them round our own table, rather than the patronizing giving of, uh, that can sometimes be there. I hope that makes sense, what, what I'm saying. There's, there's the biblical challenge is how do we extend our table uh, and share whatever we've been given uh, with those around us. And there are people in this room who do this incredibly well and who are a challenge and an inspiration to me, who see needs and respond, not patronizingly, but joyfully and generously, saying, freely I've received, freely I'm going to give. Isn't it fun to share and give away whatever God has given us? Um, this is basic Christianity 101. It's not a specialist, advanced kind of Christianity for super spiritual people. God's people are called to share whatever they've been given with those around them. Um, and the third thing, uh, and maybe the most, the, the, the most difficult one to get our head around, is we are, oh, I went the wrong way. We are to loose the chains of injustice. We are to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Peacemaking really matters to God. Generosity really matters to God. Justice really matters to God. Um, I think this is the hardest one to get a handle on, and we, we maybe puzzle and wonder, how do we do this exactly? You know, if I say, go and preach the gospel, go and share good news, we can think of some ways of doing that. Um, even if we say, share your food with the hungry, we can think of some ways of doing that. But if I say to you, go out of here this morning and go and loose the chains of injustice, maybe we think, where, where do I begin? Um, I, I've been really inspired over the years uh, by the work of an organization called IJM, the International Justice Mission. Um, IJM was really set up by Christians who were puzzling over that question, saying the Bible keeps telling us to seek justice. Now, how do we do it? And so... They have trained up Christian lawyers and Christians who are able to work in all kinds of areas like that. And they go to areas of the world where there is great injustice, where people are in economic slavery and modern forms of slavery. And they use the mechanisms of the legal system to work for freedom for people and to work for justice for people. Uh, and if you sign up for IJM's newsletter, they'll send you stories every month of people literally being set free from slavery by Christians who have taken this command seriously. Where are the chains of injustice and how can we take action so that, that people are set free? But maybe again, I want to ask, is there a way we could bring this also closer to home? Um, I think every day we can keep our eyes open for signs of unfairness, for signs of injustice, um, we're all very good at looking out for injustice against ourselves um, when things are not fair against us, but that's not what I'm talking about. 
We can have our radar turned on for people being treated unfairly around us, and especially those who are in a place of weakness, who don't have a lot of influence or don't have a lot of voice, and who are easily dismissed and easily trampled on. And it could be because they're very young or because they're very old or because they're disabled or because they're poor or because they don't have a lot of education or because they're a foreigner or because they're a refugee or because they're just a little bit different or a little bit strange or a little bit timid. There's all kinds of reasons why people get treated unfairly. Um, and part of our basic orientation as Christians is to, is to notice those people. Um, to first of all just let them know that we see them and that we see the injustice and that it's not okay. And then maybe to ask, is there something I can do to speak for them or advocate for them or work with them on their behalf to bring about fairness and justice where it wasn't present before? Um, I want to be really honest as I finish and say, I, I find that one really challenging to get my head around. Um, and I find it challenging this week to think this is a basic biblical command that is repeated often. And yet, perhaps, we don't really know where to begin um, in knowing how this week could I be someone who works to loose the chains of injustice. It really matters to God. Um, it, it, this is something really close to God's heart. And so I want to suggest in your friendship groups this week, in your home group, as you walk around, as you have coffee, let's talk about this together. How do we, as God's people, take this command really seriously? Let's get rid of um, malicious talk and pointed fingers and quarreling. Let's share our food with the hungry and whatever we have with those around us. Let's look for ways that we can loose the chains of injustice and see people set free. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I want to pray I want to pray that you would help us not to water down the challenge of your word. This is a chapter that can hit us in the gut. Father, help us to remember that when you challenge us like this, it is for our good as well as for the good of others. It is for our blessing and our wholeness. It is so that you can set us free to be the people you created us to be. Father, I pray that the promises, the beautiful promises in this chapter would draw out our hearts and draw out our desire. We want to live a life where we are surrounded by your light and surrounded by your presence and aware of your joy and, and, and of victory and triumph and feasting. But Father, help us to hear the challenge that you have shown us what is good. You've asked us to walk in a certain way. Father, help us this week by the power of your spirit who lives within us to live in this way. Help us to encourage one another and spur one another on to live in this way. Help us to talk together uh, this week about how we put these things into action 
um, in our ordinary lives here in Coleraine. Father, we pray that your word would work in our hearts and make us the people you've created us to be. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.